Amen. This 13th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, from which we have been reading this evening, we find that it records a number of parables. These parables have, by many, been referred to as the kingdom parables. In them, the subject of the kingdom is central. In parable after parable, we have the word kingdom. For example, in Matthew 13, verse 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. You can go down to verse 45, the very next verse, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. You come down to verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. I think I need to say at the outset that when we speak about the kingdom of heaven, we are essentially speaking about the kingdom of God. Because when there's reference in the scriptures to the kingdom of heaven and also to the kingdom of God, it is one and the same kingdom. Because the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are used interchangeably. And I think we have a, a proof text or texts for that assertion when we go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, and we read verses 23 and 24, we find these words. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 24. And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. So in verse 23, we have the kingdom of heaven and referring still to the rich man in verse 24, we have it called the kingdom of God. So they are really synonymous terms and they are used interchangeably. We're not going to go through all of the parables that are recorded here in this 13th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, but they all relate in, in different ways to the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. These kingdom parables, they, they set forth the character of the kingdom, they tell us about the growth of the kingdom, the development of the kingdom, and so on. But there are two of them. And they emphasize another characteristic of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And that characteristic is just how precious that the kingdom of heaven really is. They emphasize the preciousness of the kingdom. We see that from verse 44. Let me just read a few verses again from verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. The which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth, and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and bought it. So those two parables, they speak to us about just the preciousness of the kingdom. One is speaking about the treasure. The other is speaking about the pearl of great price. These two parables, they have some aspects or some points that we could say are in common. What might they be? Well, there's an object of supreme value 
that is to be found in both of these parables. One parable speaks of treasure, and the other parable speaks of the pearl, the pearl of great price. So there's an object of supreme value mentioned in both of them, and for this to be acquired, that is the treasure that was discovered in the field, and the pearl of great price, if it was to be acquired, it was going to be acquired at a, at a great cost. By that I mean there was going to be the selling of all other assets so that the treasure that was discovered could be possessed, and likewise the pearl of great price. So they have certain aspects and certain points in common. But there are also points of difference. In one of them, the treasure was discovered, but it was discovered unexpectedly. It wasn't sought for. We read of it there in verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. He had been there in the field, and then he discovers the treasure. He didn't expect to discover it, didn't even think it would be there to be found. But then we have the point of difference, the point of contrast in that second parable. There's someone, and they're out seeking on purpose, out seeking for, looking for, wanting to find, wanting to discover a goodly pearl, one that will be of immense value. And when he has found it, then he's willing to sell everything else in order that he might possess that pearl of great price. It's the first of these two parables that I draw your attention to. The one mentioned in verse 44 about the kingdom of heaven, like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. The Lord Jesus Christ is the real and the true treasure. And so with that theme in our minds, we come to, just for a little time, Examine in some more detail this, this parable of this treasure that was hidden in a field which this man found and then he came into possession of it. First of all, I want to speak just briefly about the, the presentation of the parable. The presentation of the parable. As in all of the Saviour's parables, we find that the Lord Jesus in speaking forth in these parables, he was using objects he was speaking of circumstances. He was referring to events that were undoubtedly well known to all of his hearers. He wasn't going to deal with something that would be unfamiliar to them, something that they had never really heard of before. What would have been the point? But the Savior knew the particular object to speak of and refer to or the particular event in the parable that he was relating to the hearers who were gathered to hear what he would say. And here in this parable, he's relating this treasure being found. It's hidden in a field and there's one who goes forth and discovers it, brings tremendous joy and gladness to his heart. 
but he has got to get into possession of it. And how's he going to do that? We might ask the question, well, why, why was it there in the first place? We're not told why it was hidden in this particular field. The identity of the person who discovered it is not told to us either. We're not giving a spe- given a specific name. Nor are we given any details about the one who owned the field in which the treasure was hidden and then was discovered and was found. There are many, many questions that we could ask, many questions that we could ponder and think over, and we really couldn't supply any answers to them. Why was this individual in this particular field on this particular occasion? How was it that he was in the part of the field where he actually discovered the treasure that was hidden there? You see, in those days, uh, I don't think there was any such thing as uh, having uh, deposit boxes or going to the bank and putting something in safekeeping. In fact, it's told by some commentators that those who had considerable wealth they would probably have really divided it up into about three parts. They would have had one third, that would have been for their business use if they were in a business. Then there would have been another part that they would have went and they would have bought some precious stones so that they would have been able very quickly to take those with them if the circumstances turned out that they had to flee for some reason. They could gather the precious stones and they could go along with them And then there was the other third, and sometimes it was said that they would have taken part of that and they would have buried it somewhere, somewhere that they would have known where to go and find it. But it would have been unknown to others. No one else would have known of the place. I think we sometimes hear, sometimes it's maybe said in the joke, oh, someone has got so much stacked away under the bed or under the mattress or something like that put away somewhere in a safe place where no one knows about. That may be what happened here. Why was this individual working in this particular field? What was he doing? He may have been laboring. He he may have been plowing. Maybe he was doing something else. And he had no idea, he had no thought in his mind at all that there is a wonderful treasure to be found here. There's a wonderful treasure that's hidden, that's buried. And then suddenly he discovers it. He might have felt in itself, well, it's, it was just accidental. I just happened to be in the right place, in the right field, at the right time. And I, I have discovered this, this wonderful treasure. But if we try to make an application in the gospel, aren't there so many who go through life and they never really think about eternal things. The salvation of their soul never seems to cross their mind. And if it's mentioned, they very quickly put it out of their mind. They want to get the conversation on to something else. They're not really interested at all. And this individual who was coming here to this field had no thought about the treasure that was there. Nevertheless, it was treasure that he was to discover. And when we think about the application in the gospel, aren't there those who 
have found the treasure, the Lord Jesus himself, and before that they, they weren't seeking. I think of the, the woman at the well. You remember how she had come to draw water? That was all that was upon her mind. She had no thought about her soul, about her soul's salvation. And yet it was there that the Lord Jesus had the opportunity to speak to her and turn her mind and change her heart completely. And she discovered that he was indeed the Messiah, that he was indeed the greatest treasure of all. Sometimes there are those who have received a gospel tract. Maybe they they took it from someone who was giving out tracts, witnessing. Or they may just have found it lying somewhere and opened it and began to read it and the Lord dealt with their heart and they were brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God's dear son. But they hadn't been seeking, they hadn't been looking, but the Lord in great mercy and the Lord in sovereign grace, he saved them. Here's this individual and he's not searching for any treasure as such, but he discovers it. This is something of the presentation of the parable. But I want in the second place to draw your attention to what I'll call the identification in the parable. The identification in the parable. This is the parable about the the kingdom of heaven as some of the other parables are about the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. We said earlier about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God being terms that we can use interchangeably. And when we think of a kingdom, we probably would think of a king. And when we're thinking of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, it is God himself who reigns and who rules in his kingdom, the kingdom of his grace and the kingdom of his power. And the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is that kingdom in connection with the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting just to take a few moments to trace through various scripture references about this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. The kingdom comes. When does the kingdom come? We read about the kingdom being near, the kingdom being at hand. The kingdom comes when the king himself comes. And we have a reference to that Over in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel chapter 3, let me just read the opening two verses. Verse 1, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. At this time the Lord Jesus, who is indeed the king, was going to present himself in his public ministry after he had been baptized and then begin his public ministry. And he indeed is the king in the kingdom of God's grace and the kingdom of God's power. Then when you turn over to Matthew's Gospel chapter 4 and another verse that speaks of this, but let's read from verse 16 just to get the context. Matthew 4, verse 16, The people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light has sprung up. From that time, 
Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king himself has come to invade the kingdom of darkness. It's reference to the kingdom. Turn over a little further in Matthew's gospel. We go over to Matthew's gospel, chapter 10. And here we have some words that are spoken to, to the twelve as they, would, as they would go forth. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 7. And the word to them was this, And as ye go, preach, saying. And what were they to say? What, were, what was the message they were to proclaim? The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was the word spoken to the twelve as they were to go forth. That was their mission. They were to go and preach concerning the kingdom of heaven being at hand. The very same message has to be proclaimed when the 70 were sent forth. And over in Luke's gospel, Luke's gospel chapter 10, there we have the words in verses 8 and 9. And the words are these, And into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, here's the message, the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. It's the message of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God's grace and power. And then when we move from the Gospels, to the Acts of the Apostles in Acts, Acts chapter 20. Here we find the Apostle Paul at Ephesus. And he's really summarizing his time of ministry there. And in Acts chapter 20, well, let's read from verse 20. He says, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. But then just for the sake of time, drop down to verse 24. He says, none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. So what's Paul saying? He says, I went amongst you and I went amongst you preaching and I was preaching the kingdom of God. So what was Paul preaching? He was preaching the gospel. He was the great gospel preacher. He was the great evangelist. He was the great missionary. And he was preaching concerning the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come. And the kingdom of God has come in the person of the king. And here in this parable, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, and again the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. Here's the truth. Here's the truth that this parable identifies. The discovery 
of the worth, the value of Jesus Christ and the salvation that's found in him. And when that discovery is made by any man, any woman, any sinner, when that discovery is made, then there will be a cause for great joy and gladness and rejoicing. And there will be nothing that will keep that individual from possessing Christ and having him as Lord and Savior and of experiencing God's salvation in Jesus Christ. So the treasure is the Lord Jesus Christ and all that is stored up in him, he who is the King of grace. This particular field was of no real interest to this individual until the treasure was discovered. And then in his joy of discovery, he goes and he sells all that he has to buy the field, make the application. When a poor sinner discovers the beauty of Christ and the worth and the value of the treasures of God's grace in Christ, then he or she is ready in the joy of that discovery to dispense with everything that would keep him or her from Christ and his so great salvation. Perhaps this individual had ties to many things. Some of them may have been of what we would describe as a, as a sentimental nature. Some of them would no doubt have been of considerable value at least to that person, maybe of considerable financial worth. But when he discovered this treasure and he was taken up with the treasure, he was willing to part with everything in order to be the possessor of the treasure. No matter how many things may have had a strong emotional tie to his heart, things that he had set his heart upon, things that he loved, things that he cherished. But now everything changes and he cannot rest until he has the treasure in his own possession because he sees that treasure of more value than anything else that he thought he had that he classed as being valuable but he knows he can't have the treasure unless he has the field and that becomes most important to him and in his joy underline those words in his joy he doesn't do this reluctantly or unwillingly or half-heartedly no, with a whole heart. He sells all he has so that he might buy the field in order to possess the treasure. You see, that's the identification that's here in the parable. But then in the third place, I want you to consider with me the illustration of the parable. The illustration of the parable and this parable is illustrated for us in the lives of individuals in Scripture. 
We've already mentioned him, the great apostle Paul, or Saul of Tarsus as he was before his conversion to Christ. And as he writes to the Philippians, we find in, in chapter 3 of Philippians that he, he's really giving a word of testimony. He's bearing testimony to what the Lord has done for him. It's always good to give a word of testimony, isn't it? To have a testimony to give. To be able to speak forth and tell of what the Lord has done for your soul. How that the Lord met with you and you met with him and how he saved you. And as Paul writes to these Philippians, that's exactly what he's doing in this third chapter of his letter to them. The opening verses read, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh. I more. What he was really saying there to them was, if anyone thinks he has what will purchase God's favor, I, I can do far better than that person. I could do far better than that individual. And then he begins to list all the things that were as treasures to his heart. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He goes, he goes down the list, tells of all the treasures that his heart was set upon, all of the things that he would have said before his conversion that he counted as great gains. But then in verse 7 he says, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss. Like the individual in the parable that we're looking at. I counted them all loss for Christ. For Christ because he is, he is the great treasure. Paul was saying here these things that he has just listed. He says these things as I viewed them. They were so valuable that I would have said they were my very salvation. That's in effect what he was saying. But then everything changed when the Lord met him. As he was on that road, the Lord broke in upon his life. And what he discovered made all the difference. And he speaks of it there in his testimony in verse 8 of Philippians 3. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. A remarkable conversion. Because of a remarkable discovery of the greatest treasure of all, the King of Grace, 
the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Do you know him? Can you say with judgment day honesty of heart, he is my greatest treasure. I I have come to know him. I've come to trust in him. I've come to believe on him. He's my savior. He's my Lord. He's my redeemer. He's mine. He's mine. What we've just noted here in Paul's testimony to the Philippians in that third chapter stands in marked contrast, in marked contrast to another individual that we read of, another young man. We read of him in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19. He seems, in one sense, to be like that merchant man who was seeking goodly pearls. You remember what we read there concerning this individual? How that he was the the young man who was inquiring about eternal life, how he, he could be saved. Verse 16 of Matthew 19, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? The most important question anybody could ask. You couldn't ask a more important question than that. And this young man's asking this vital question. And what's the response of the Savior? Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, if you'll have life, then you keep the commandments. And this young man's responding really well. I've, I've really kept all the commandments. I've kept them really from a very young age. What lack I yet is the question he poses in, in verse 20. And what's Jesus' answer to him? Verse 21, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell. Go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. What he's saying to him is this, young man, if you would would be complete, if you would know the blessing of eternal life, here's what you must do. You must sell everything that you have. And what's the Lord Jesus offering him? What's the offer? The offer to this young man is... You'll have treasure in heaven. That's the best place to have treasure. In heaven. Thieves don't break through and steal there. Moths don't corrupt there. That's what the Lord Jesus is really saying to him. The parable that we're considering, that man discovering the treasure in the field... He can't have the treasure unless he has the field. And that becomes more important than the things that he loved and the things he thought he would never, ever part with. All of those things that he had set his heart upon. But here's this. Here's this young man. And he hears the words of the Savior. 
the Savior's offering him treasure in heaven and the Savior's own companionship because he says, Thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Follow me. Why did the Lord say that to him? Why did the Lord answer him in this kind of a way? It was to reveal something. What was it to reveal? It was to reveal if he had come to the place where he had really discovered the treasure. This young man had very strong ties to his present treasures, and he had many of them, many of them. And at the top of the list of all of his treasures was his money. And all that that money had given to him and continued to give to him. He has come here to the Savior. He calls the Savior good master. The Lord was a good master, but he was more than that. He was God incarnate. And eternal life, which this young man said he was seeking, was bound up in him, in Christ himself. He's really saying to him, young man, have you seen in me the treasure of all treasures? Above all of your accounts, above all of your assets, above all of your titles to land, to property, whatever it might be. Because if you have, you will with joy sell all that you have and you will have a treasure in heaven that can't be touched by anyone and you will have me as your saviour and your companion. And you would say, well, who, who wouldn't choose that? Who wouldn't choose that? Well, this young man didn't choose that. We read in verse 22, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You see, he still saw his treasure in the things that he could touch and see. He didn't see Christ as the treasure hidden in the field for whom he ought to joyfully, gladly give up all that he might have eternal life. And he goes away sorrowful because he didn't see the worth of the true treasure. You see, the blessing of salvation is only had in Jesus Christ. And if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't have salvation. You don't possess Eternal life. Sometimes people have the idea, well, I'm enjoying life so much at the moment. And I, I think if I were to come to Christ, life would be so dull. You wouldn't be able to do this and you wouldn't be able to go there. But that's, that's not the Christian life. Christian life is a, is a joyful life. It's a glad life. 
You remember those words that we have as Paul wrote to the, the Romans in Romans chapter 14, verse 17. He spoke about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy. Joy in the Holy Ghost. The Christian life is not a doleful, wretched life. It's one that's full of fellowship and joy in the Lord and fellowship with the living God. Are you seeing Christ tonight as the treasure that you must have? Did you come to the meeting and you had no real thoughts about the salvation of your soul, but as you've sat under the preaching of God's word, the Lord in his grace has enabled you to make a discovery. It's Jesus Christ that you need. It's God's salvation that you need to possess and have. Because without it, there'll be no heaven for you. There'll be no heaven for you. There'll only be hell. And the young man that we've just been speaking about went away sorrowful. He didn't obey the Lord. Will you go away sorrowful from the meeting tonight because you refuse to obey the gospel, to turn from self and sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and have him as the greatest treasure of all? Oh, I urge you to come to him. You need to come. Go through the scriptures and note the number of verses that you read of that speaks about coming to Christ. Think of the gospel invitations that have that word in them, come. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's gospel rest, but you need to come. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. That's plain, isn't it? That's straight. That's to the point. If you come to Christ by repenting of your sin, turning from it and believing on the Savior, he says, I'll not cast you away. I'll receive you. I'll save you. And you'll be the possessor of the greatest treasure of all and all the blessings that come with it. You'll have Christ. Don't go away without him tonight. Come to him and believe on him. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Let's bow in prayer. In just a few moments, our meeting's over. But should there be anyone in the gathering and the Lord has spoken to you, and you need further questions answered. You need further help from the scriptures so that tonight you would come to Christ and have him as your savior, your redeemer, the pearl of great price.
then make it known to us. We'd be glad to spend time with you, help you from the word of God so that you will come out of the kingdom of darkness and enter into the kingdom of God. Don't delay. Come, just as you are. Come and welcome to the Savior. Heavenly Father, in our Savior's name, we give thee thanks for thy presence in this meeting. And we pray that thou wilt take thine own truth Bless it to every heart, and especially to hearts that know thee not. Grant that there would be those who would make that great discovery, that there is a Savior waiting to save them, if they will but come. Grant them that grace, that they will come, that they will call upon the name of the Lord, and be saved. Separate us now in thy fear and with thy blessing.